I will only negotiate with the head of the Pike Syndicate. You mean the one that massacred your Tuscan family and blamed it on a speed bike gang? Fight on our terms, not theirs. I can take him. You're emotional. I can take him. We need to adjust. You'll have your moment. Tell your client. Negotiations are terminated. You're going soft in your old age. We all do. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 454, Book of Boba Fett, Season 1. I'm, as always, your host, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Boba Fett, to my Cad Bane, we've got Carl LeClaire. Well, this isn't going to go anywhere good, Jason. <laughs> One of us is going to wind up dead by the end of the episode. Spoiler alert, it's you. <laughs> oh, oh, well, hell. Um... <laughs> Damn it. Uh. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am so I'm just excited to talk about this whole first season. It's it's been such a ride. Um you and I both over the weekend rewatched the whole series. Uh yes. we've been filling our earbuds with the with the score by Joseph Shirley and Ludwig Gorenson. I've been all mm-hmm. things Book of Boba Fett for the last cheapers two straight weeks. Uh, well, longer than that, really, because the series has been running for a while. And I'm just so excited to talk about it. You know, it is it is a hot mess of a fun time. That's the way I describe the show. <laughs> it is. It really is. And it's that's not just because we're on Tatooine practically the entire time either. So, um, <laughs> terrible pun. Uh, hot, hot, no, never mind. Um, we're just going to move past that. Yep, stop. No, it, it, yeah. <laughs> It was a really fun time. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed the show. Uh, some aspects of it I liked more than others, but overall, I, I walked away having enjoyed the experience uh, and 
looking forward to seeing what we get uh, coming down the pipe. So, yeah. Or I, coming I down the pike. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, so as you've uh, as you can assume, spoilers ahead. Um, we've already given some. <laughs> um, so if you've not yet watched season one of Book of Boba Fett, um, come back when you have, because yeah. we'll, we're going to talk about all sorts of details from from the whole season. Yes, yeah. And if you don't mind spoilers, then you know stick around and see if you might want to actually watch the show because I recommend it. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a good it's a good time. Uh, Carl, before we yeah. jump into any of the specifics, uh, do we want to kind of give general overall impressions? Well, actually, before we get into any of Book of Boba Fett, Jason, we are almost wrapped with the month of February. It's a short month to begin with. Um, and next week, we won't have a, a regular scheduled Wampas Lair episode because Katie Horn and I will be doing our next episode of Marvelous Musings. We're going to look back on the f- the first season of Hawkeye. Uh, the the Marvel Disney Plus show. So if if you liked Hawkeye, be sure to check that out next week on Marvelous Musings with me and Katie. Uh, but Jason and I will be back at the beginning of March. And you know what March also marks, Jason? What does it mark, Carl? Well, of course, we have been doing it for years now. The This Is Madness Tournament. Tournament, tournament, tournament. <laughs> this is madness. <laughs> but that's right. We are back again 2022, I think this is our Jeepers fourth or fifth year running the This Is Madness tournament. Um, we have done character matchups. We have done scene matchups from the movies, which I believe we did last year. And this year, we've got something new planned for you once again. We are in the world of Star Wars animation. So looking at Clone Wars, Rebels, Bad Batch and Resistance. We are going to be doing something similar to last year's This Is Madness Tournament. We have chosen some of our favorite scenes from Star Wars animated projects that you get to vote on every day in the month of March. And as always, the last couple of years, I've been fortunate to be able to make this list with uh, a wonderful guest we've had several times, the former president of the Star Wars Club at the college I worked at. Um, the one and only Emily Pelletier. Uh, Emily and I got together um, a few weeks back and chose a bunch of scenes from the animated shows to put into our bracket for this year. Uh, so thanks to Emily for helping me build that bracket. And yeah, starting March 1st, every day of the week, again, not not on weekends, we will have a different scene matchup for you every day where you get to pick your favorite Star Wars animated scenes. Uh, so hopefully you will participate. And as always, we'll encourage you to use the hashtag TWL. This is madness. Indeed, because the Wampus Lair. This is madness is the best. This is madness out there. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, we, we I will give us p- props for the fact that we're always trying to make it something new and exciting. It's been really cool to see <laughs> that, that lots of other um, content creators have have created their own types of schemes each year around March. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's always a fun time, you know, uh, t- to get into these sorts of things. Absolutely. We we have a blast with it. Um, and And it seems like everyone who's participated has a blast with it as well. So uh, look forward to that coming next month, everybody. That's right. That's right. Um, and right now we'll be, we'll be running it on, um, on our Instagram, 
Um, still debating whether or not to do it on Twitter. Uh, we've both consciously made the choice to try to spend a little time away from Twitter in the coming months. Um, it, 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 in, in no judgment on, on those of you who love your Star Wars Twitter community. Um, but uh, <laughs> I find it an exhausting <laughs> space. Um, yes. So still up for we're still deciding whether or not we'll put it on Twitter as well, but it'll definitely be on our Instagram. And hopefully if you have an Instagram and you're not following us, you'll do that. We're just at the Wampus Lair um, and uh, you'll be able to vote every day in our story. Um, so we've always traditionally done it on Twitter. Again, we very well made this year. We're, we're still debating that, um, but you'll know when the time comes. Exactly. So, uh, but I, it's time to get back to Book of Boba Fett. Um, so, Carl, did, did we want to do like initial first impression or just impressions of the show as a whole uh, before we get in the details? Or do we want to kind of save that for the end? Well, I guess that would make sense to start with, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be succinct. Like I said, kind of to introduce it. I thought this show was a hot mess of a good time. You know, I think it's an incredibly imperfect show compared to Mandalorian, even compared to Bad Batch, Clone Wars, really any Star Wars uh, Disney Plus project we've gotten so far. I think Book of Boba Fett has been the most um, disjointed, Uh, but that doesn't make it bad. You know, Um, I I really had a good time each week, except for one. I I really didn't like Chapter 3. I'll just own that right now. It just really didn't work for me. I thought it was it was garbage. But other than that, I really enjoyed the show. I had a fun time every week. Um, it had me, had me thinking about star Wars in new ways every week. And, you know, like, like we said at the top, you know, we both rewatched it over the weekend, the whole series. I thought it worked. I, I really did. I thought it worked a lot better kind of watching it in a more binge, um, as, aspect rather than spreading mm-hmm. it out over seven weeks. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, if I had to give this a grade, I'd say this is a solid B plus, you know, it's definitely not a range for me. Um, you know, if it, lift a couple episodes out and tighten up a few things, I, I think it could easily raise into the A's, but, but it was still a fun show. And, and, you know, Jason, as I've thought about it just in the last week, since it's, you know, now off the air, uh, I had a fun time with it and I don't have to, and, and I kind of talked about this when we were doing our fallen star review. Just because I don't love something in particular doesn't mean that I have to hate on it either, right? Like Fallen Star to me, it was it was the worst High Republic book I've read, um, but I still enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. I loved talking about it with my friends. Uh, had some great moments, and uh, I, I would rank this way above Fallen Star. I mean, I, I enjoyed Book of Boba Fett way more than Fallen Star, um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't the best, but that's okay too. Like, it was really fun. We're going to be getting a lot of Star Wars content for a long time now, and it's not all going to be our favorite. And I think that's very okay. At the end of the day, if if you have a fun time with it and it has you thinking about Star Wars, I would say it's a success. So, I I had a great time with it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of the details about what was so good about it. And I'm also looking forward to just sharing what I thought fell, fell flat for me. Um, so, but what did you think? What was your kind of initial thought? Uh, overall, um, I, I liked it. I, I had fun. There were some definite elements I quite enjoyed. Others I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, I'd give it probably a seven out of ten overall. Um, so good, solid, positive review for me, but a C plus. not the greatest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right around there. It'd be plus, maybe a minus if we're being generous. Um, but you know, not you know, 
Mandalorian has been near perfect uh, through two seasons so far. This did not reach those heights, um, but it was still a really fun show uh, that gave us some stuff that I think uh, was really, really cool. So uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about some of the details of that. And uh, but yeah, overall, uh, I walked away a a happy Star Wars fan. So. <laughs> excellent excellent well i feel like the the first place to really dive in is just looking at boba's journey right you know this is this is his story um despite what two episodes may declare <laughs> um this is still boba fett's story and and actually jason like i'm looking forward to talking about those two episodes and why i think they actually do work in this series um mm-hmm. but uh yeah like this was something that's been in kind of in the ether since Disney has take has acquired Star Wars. There's been talk of, you know, I mean, obviously the first thing we knew was we're getting a sequel trilogy. And the next thing that was bouncing around was a Boba Fett movie, right? Or eventually series. So this is something that's been in the minds of Star Wars creators for a while. And mm-hmm. certainly in the minds of Star Wars fans. And I think that this show certainly turned thing on turned things on its head, right? Like this is this was a very new vision of Boba Fett. Um and I think, you know, for some people it didn't work. I think for a lot of people it did. Uh I think for the people that it didn't work for, it's because they're just still clinging to the stories they created in their own heads as children about Boba Fett. Um, and I'm not I'm not downplaying that. I, I did the same thing. Um, but this was very different. You know, if, if you really think about it, Boba Fett's original trilogy screen time, I think, amounts to like three minutes. Um, he doesn't really do much of anything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this show really changes things up. And I got to say, the way that the this show started, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I mean, it starts with this whole theme of rebirth. You know, I love that in that first episode. So I'll also say right off right off the bat, my favorite episodes of the whole series are season or episodes one and two. I I thought that those were near perfect. And then from there, it becomes a crapshoot. But it was so cool seeing Boba in the Sarlacc and getting out of the Sarlacc. This is this story really begins as a story of rebirth as he climbs out of the dirt. He's covered in mud and grime um, and you know, he's he's entering into a new realm, into a new way of existing. Um, and so much of the first half of the season is really told in, in flashback. And this is Boba, you know, his his very first flashback we get is Geonos or excuse me, is Camino. He watches Django flying away. Um, and then it's a quick flashback to him holding Django's helmet on Geonosis from Attack of the Clones. You know, it's this this whole reality that while Boba was in the Sarlacc, he is so alone. And and I think for this character, he's somebody who's used to being left alone and being on his own and thinking that that was the way you survive. Um, and the story begins with him, you know, like that skill set, that skill set of learning to survive on your own got him so far. And as he emerges from the Sarlacc nearly dead, he's going to be adopted by a new people. Um, and that's where things really start to change for him. Yeah. It, it's a great, um, 
it's a great uh, way to start things because, you know, obviously he's got to escape and we've had, you know, some version of this happening for a long time. Um, but I like the way they did it. And I like the fact that we did get the flashbacks because honestly, and I know I'm in a minority of people here. I've said it before. I find Boba Fett, a more interesting character once you include attack of the clones. Mm. Um, it, you know, the whole idea of him being a clone was interesting to me. I thought that was fascinating. And then how do you, you know, how does he go about differentiating, differentiating himself from all the clones and stuff like that? And we've figured that out through, you know, his life of being the best bounty hunter in the galaxy. Um, and, you know, moving beyond what the clones were. Uh, and now, you know, even though he tried to distance himself from it, he was at one point, one of many, uh, but now he's deliberately alone. He has been isolated even beyond that point by being inside the Sarlacc and sort of taken from, you know, time and place, uh, because, I believe we're meant to infer that he's been in the belly of the Sarlacc for several years. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and now he's reemerging into the world alone. And it seems he's not sure he wants to be alone anymore. You know, it's it is a rebirth not only in the sense that he's back among the living but it's a rebirth because it's sort of a new mindset that it doesn't seem like he's ever had before you know he he's open to to being part of a, a of a community or, or part of a, a group of some sort uh and we quickly find that out by his you know uh, his association with the Tuscan Raider and we see the evidence of that by him partnering up with with you know uh, Fennec from Mandalorian so he's he's obviously been on this journey of, of not being a loner anymore already so now we just can see how he gets to that point with the Tuscans so yeah and and, you know, I, I would say even even when he's essentially it, I mean, he's essentially captured more than anything by the Tuscans, right? Like he's not necessarily rescued um, and his his immediate response is fight and flight, right? It's the old Boba. He wants to escape. Um, what does he want to escape to? Probably just going back to his old way of life. Again, that's me inferring. But right. He he cuts the bonds to try to get free Um and they 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 subdue him and he kind of just starts giving himself over to them and and i think this is a very new boba fett from anything we've ever read in legends even from the stuff that's going on in the bounty hunter wars comics right now um who you know he's a he's a very self-assured uh individual and here we have someone who wants to learn. I mean, he literally says to the to the Tuscan warrior, "Teach me, teach me." He says this several times. Like he wants to learn their ways. He understands that they can offer something up to him. Um, 
And as he starts to become more and more part of their tribe, right? Like, especially in chapter two, you know, he immediately, when the, when the, the, the space train is going by that the pikes run and they start gunning down Tuscans. I mean, he's, he quickly jumps to help aid people, right? Help them hide and take shelter. Um, he's very quickly bonding to this particular community. And I think it's the fact that they are a warrior community. I think he really respects that. Um, cause he himself is a warrior, but they're a warrior community, right? They're not individuals. They are a community and mm-hmm. it, it just opens Boba to the importance of being part of something. And I, I, the quote he says to, to Fennec in chapter four is you can only get so far without a tribe. You know, that's what he really learned from the Tuscans is, um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's hard to say how much sentimentality, um, is in that for Boba again, because I think it, it, this is something I'll mention a little bit later, but I think this is one of the biggest pitfalls of the show is we don't get enough <laughs> character motivation, in my opinion, from the story. Um, there's, there's too much inferred, not enough shown or said, um, but Boba really connects to this community, right? I mean, he becomes a Tuscan for all intents and purposes. Um, you know, they, you know, that, that spirit quest he goes on in chapter two, he finds freedom from his old life. Um, you know, and, and I I may have said this on like a, something I've recorded in the past, but it reminds me a lot of something from Falcon and winter soldier. When we learn that the Wakandans helped to free Bucky from his, from his like mental torture, (laughs) <laughs> from the hands of the from the Red Skulls and the the Soviets or whoever they were, right? The Wakandans kind of broke him free of that. The Tuscans break Boba free of that hunter individualistic mentality. Yeah, he's uh, he definitely not only he starts off just trying to prove himself and be useful and and you know learn their their specific ways. Uh, but then it becomes more than that. It becomes, you know, uh, you know, he starts referring to the Tuscans as, you know, as we mm-hmm. and stuff like that, especially after they stop the train and they send the pikes back to the city, you know, uh, and they're, they're going to extract, uh, you know, protection money from the pikes for traveling through the area now. And he's going to be, you know, negotiate on behalf of the Tuscan. Uh, and he does seem to be of the mind that he is one of them at that point. You know, it, it's, it's a very different sort of change from Boba. And the idea of, of this tribe, this family, this community is more highlighted. And I, and I meant to get the specific quotes, um, but it is highlighted in some of these early episodes, when we cut back to the current time as Boba is trying to, you know, establish himself as a new daimyo of Mos Espa in Jabba's stead, that he is trying to form a family of sorts. Uh, and I, I believe Fennec is one of them. And she's, you know, you're, you're looking to make a family. She's meaning it in the terms of like, you know, the the different factions mm-hmm. um, that are there: the the Trandoshans, the uh, Clatoonians, and the 
uh, Aquilish factions. You know, they're all families. Um, she was referring to it like that, but there's a couple of times where people use the word family to describe what Boba is doing. And we're really kind of honing in on that aspect of that's what this is all about. And I don't think Boba knows what to do with the fact that that's what he's looking for and trying to build right now. Uh, but he knows that's the way forward for him right now. So, yeah. And that's, in a, you know, I think that's exactly what makes him a very different character. You know, um, all the legend stuff has kind of just taught us that Boba is the lone gunman, right? He is, he's this solitary figure shrouded in mystery. Um, and, and I think those stories all are still true for him prior to the Sarlacc. You know, and this is something, you know, Jason, I remember we talked about this breaking down one of the first trailers for the show. And, you know, this this reality that this Boba is going to be different. You know, I mean, that's the, the Sarlacc is, you know, that's him buried in in the in the belly of the beast. That's him inside the great fish like Jonah. Jesus dead in the ground for three days. Right. It's this it's this it's a resurrection theme. He's somebody new. And as you know our culture tells us in these types of stories, whoever emerges from those experiences, they're different. Um, this is a new Boba Fett. Uh, and, you know, I think to all of those fans that that wanted the the mysterious gunslinger, you still have those stories. You can still celebrate those stories. But that's not the same character. And I think that that makes sense. If Boba Fett is going to emerge from a Sarlacc pit experience, it's only human that he's a little different, right? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think I mentioned this before. I was I was rereading the Bounty Hunter War trilogy by K.W. Jetter, which came out in 96 or 97. Oh, shoot, I forgot when um, I couldn't finish it because the writing is just so bad. <laughs> um, but even in that story, it's, it's a story about Dengar rescuing Boba from when he gets out of the Sarlacc and he teams up with Dengar. Right. Like it's a, it's a new he is a new character. He teams up with Bounty Hunters. He never used to do that. Um, so, right. We've always even had those tidbits in, in even in old legends canon that Boba's experience in the Sarlacc dramatically changed him. And that's very true in this show. And the fact that he's taken in by the Tuscans and he learns the importance of belonging to a community, to a family, to a tribe. That's exactly what he sets out to do once they're slaughtered. Because I think if they had not been slaughtered, I think he would have spent the rest of his life in, on the Dune Sea with the Tuscans. I don't think he had any intentions of leaving. Um, it was just, you know, the tragedy of them being slaughtered. And again, it's, well, what do I do now? And what he ultimately learned from the Tuscans is the importance of building a tribe, building a family. And that's what he's setting out to do is he wants to be Daimyo. Why does he want to be Daimyo? Again, I still think this could be fleshed out better in the show, um, mm. but it's ultimately to, to do things better. He believes that the people in charge are really broken. They mess things up all the time and he's going to make it better. And, and here's the thing to remember is the stuff from the flashbacks and the stuff in the current time are separated by Boba's appearance in Mandalorian. And I, that's a key thing to remember because he goes from being a Tuscan 
and just trying to then just trying to get his ship out of Java's palace, Bib Fortuna's palace at the time, um, to try and regain some semblance of who he was or who who he thinks he is. And then he goes out into the galaxy with Fennec Shand. They find the Mandalorian to get the armor back, but then he stumbles on this mission that Din is on with the child, and they get wrapped up in all of that. And so that's what gets him thinking about, well, this is better than what I was doing before the Sarlacc. And so that's why I think, you know, so so the question then becomes, well, how can I do that? Mm-hmm. And the way that he knows how to do this is like, well, there's a whole bunch of resources and money back at Jabba's palace and Bib is his pushover. So I'll take that over and we'll start anew and I'll start doing good or whatever he thinks he's doing. He's The thing with Boba Fett is the motivations are very simple right now, you know, and which makes sense because he is in a rebirth yeah. and they're all very almost gut level instinctual moves right now. And he's moving through those and now has to figure out, all right, now now that I'm on this path, what does that mean? How do I have to do this? And that's when his actions and choices and decisions become more mature. Um, but the path is is very almost primal, I think. Um, it's very gut-level, instinctual, uh, and completely, I think, inspired by the events of season two of Mandalorian that he was a part of. So. Yeah. I think what he learned from his encounter with, with Din and Grogu, um, even though he doesn't directly interact with Grogu, but I think what he really does genuinely learn is the importance of loyalty to the people you care about. Um, and I think that that's what he offer. Right? He, he openly offers that to, to Fennec in, in chapter four, right? As, as, as I was thinking about, like, why is she even joining up? And again, that's another to me kind of uh, downbeat of this show is I think Fennec gets done dirty the whole series. She doesn't really get flushed out at all. Um, I, I think that's really unfair to her character. But that said, um, I think the reason she joins him, he offers her something. He says, I give, I, I will pledge my life to protect you. I will pledge my life to defend you. Um, you know, like that, that really, I think that really moves her is because again, she's lived in the world Boba lived in, which is a very individualized world. You are out for yourself only. And again, when we get to the finale, Cad Bane, he's like this, you know, his final lesson before Boba duns him in, which I love, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but before he thinks he's going to kill Boba's, you know, his final lesson is, is, you can only rely on yourself. Anything else is weakness. I think that's something Boba believed prior to the Sarlacc. And mm-hmm. what he offers to Fennec is an opportunity for loyalty. You know, um, it's it's something very different. And I think that that's where the overlap starts to come in between Boba and Din as well, is the fact that these both of these characters are unbelievably loyal. Um, you know, in different ways to different things, but loyalty is what links them. And I think that's, that's probably what brings Fennec in. That's, I think that's her buy-in is that Boba is offering her something new too, rather than just this dangerous individualized life of collecting bounties. Um, 
you know, for in Boba's mind, a bunch of knuckleheads. Let's let's run our own show, you know, and we can do this better. Yeah. And from her perspective, not only is this someone who saved her life, which, you know, she's got to be like. And she's she is initially very trepidatious about that because she's, she doesn't want to be in his debt. Um, yeah. But, you know, not only does she want to repay the the kindness because Boba didn't have to do that. He could have just let her die in the sand. Um, but he felt compelled to save her life. So he did. So she has to do that. But then not only is there that aspect, you're right, there is the aspect of a pledged loyalty. And the fact that the one doing the pledging is one of the most feared warriors in the galaxy. Um, and it's funny because you know she's the one who keeps trying to get him to do things the gangster way initially. He's like, no, no, we're going to do it differently. She eventually signs on to all of that. But, um, yeah, it is, you know, it's a very interesting pairing. I like them as a, as a, you know, a partnership. I think the partnership works. Um, but I would agree with you. I think she could have been fleshed out more in the show. Uh, yeah, I know it's not for show, but I, I, I would have liked to have seen more of her. Well, I th- POV. yeah, I think they I mean, I think they marketed it as that. These are this is a team up. You know, yes, it's Boba Fett show, but I felt like they marketed it as she's going to be a central character. She's central insofar as she's there. She helps move the plot along, but she has no clear motivations that are fleshed out. And I think that that's that's a huge failing on Fabro and Filoni's part. Um, I'm going to indict both of them because everybody thinks they're perfect. They're not perfect. <laughs> they fuck, they messed that up big time. <laughs> so, and I also think that their motivations for Boba are still, mm, you got to dig for them. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I yeah. think that's not good storytelling. So again, not to be overly negative and we'll talk a little bit about our shortcomings later, but, um, but I, I think your point, Jason, which is really, which is really, really good. is just the fact that Boba is doing everything kind of on this primal level. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, he's been reborn. He was, he quickly learns the lesson and importance of community and belonging. And now he's just going to work to make that happen. Um, and I think, and I think there is a bit of a, you know, there's a lot of learning curves. Like, how is that going to look? What is that going to look like? Like that's, this is him working that out. Um, all he Mm -hmm. knows is that he doesn't want to go back to his old way of being and he wants to bring that lesson he learned from the Tuscans into his new world. And that's exactly why he starts drawing people to himself. It's why he brings the, the mod swoop gang into his circle. It's why he brings Christensen into his circle. All of these people that are kind of outcast and forgotten. These are the people he brings in, which is by the way, a very star Wars theme. Star Wars is all about taking the people that seem like the underdog and giving them a sense of, of value and importance. And Boba's doing that. And I, and I really do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and rewarding loyalty in the, the, you know, aspect of the two, uh, Gamorrean brothers, you know, they, yeah. they stay loyal to Jabba, to Bib, and they were going to be loyal to him. Um, so he starts off with that. Then he starts building the, 
the family with the outcasts, which I thought was great. I like the, um, the process that he does with that. I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, pulling in the outcasts to, to build this foundation, uh, for himself. Um, and Kersantin is just fantastic. I think he's a highlight in this series. Um, but I know we've got some highlights for later that we're going to save uh, for the end. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk more about Kersantin there. But yeah, uh, it was it was great. Um, but yeah, his his journey pays off in the fact that once uh, he's you know he's able to get these these people together and rely on the loyalty of Din. And his connections with the people of Freetown, uh, creating this this family, this community of people that are just a little bit better than the ones around them. They're not perfect. They're not like holier than thou people. They're they're messed up and rough and you know, but just a little bit better than everyone else. Um, but you know, he pulls them all together, and they're able to. Uh, you know, not only secure his footing as the daimyo of of Tatooine there, um, but repel the pikes um, and their spice trade from Tatooine and save Mos Espa. So uh, it's a it's a simple story. I think it's only part of the journey, though. Yes, um, it's yeah. not a full journey. Yeah, I think they've already confirmed that there's going to be a season two. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that they've talked about the fact that there'll be a season two. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, I, I think the show ends in such a way that it kind of needs a season two. <laughs> um, but again, I could be wrong. Uh, and, and one of the last lines Boba says in the finale to Fennec is, we're not cut out for this. And she says, well, if not us, then who? Um, and I think that that opens the door to like, well, what is it? You know, he, he, cause like you said, Jason, he, he accomplishes what he set out to do. He set out to become the daimyo of Mos Espa, you know, to, to kind of revolutionize the way things have been done. And he's done that. Um, he is not, you know, he's not a ruler who rules by fear. I mean, again, I love those. I love that little moment at the end as he's walking through Mos Espa and people are bowing to him and, and smiling at him. And somebody gives him a Melurot. She's Melurot. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like it's 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 showing that he is, you know, he set out to be he will rule by respect, not fear. And it seems like he has that respect. So he has accomplished what he set out to do. Um, and now it's just, well, what do you do now? Right. And, uh, I think that that's a very compelling question is, uh, and, and I think that star Wars is really good at giving us very simple, like mission tasks, accomplishing them, but then it's, well, now what, right? Like the now what questions star Wars doesn't often get into. And that's why I think Book of Boba Fett should have a season two is because, well, what will happen next for Boba? What will be next for him and Fennec? Um, will they remain on Tatooine as the daimyos of Mos Espa or what's next? Um, you know, I think he understands this is very different than maybe even what he expected. Um, but like you said, he accomplished what he set out to do. And I think, uh, 
that's really important. Yeah. Um, after a quick Google search, there has been no confirmed season two for Book of Boba Fett. Oh, okay. Uh, there have been, um, but they're not saying anything yet. Okay. Well, I'm so. sure he's going to show up in of Mandal. I'm sure he's going to be in Mandalorian season three. Um, yeah, I'd be very yeah, surprised I, I, if he's not. With how we left Din and and you know and Grogu at the end of Book of Boba Fett. I think some of the continuation of Boba Fett is going to be, it's going to have to be in Mandalorian season three. So we don't necessarily need another season of book of Boba Fett. Um, if we're going to get continued stories that way. True. Um, but yeah, no, um, sorry. I, I missed, <laughs> I just blanked on what you were just talking about. That's fine. Cause I, I want to talking... talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do we, um, what do we want to bring well, up now? Well, well, the last thing I want to mention, because um, I, I thought this was really poignant, uh, Boba's final showdown with Cad Bane, right? It was something, mm. especially with Chapter 6, bringing Cad Bane in, uh, you know, uh, how cool that was, how well it was executed, transitioning from animation to live action, um, uh-huh. and Boba ultimately killing him, I thought was brilliant, um, now I will say, I just want to call this out real quick. Cause I saw, and this is, as I hinted at earlier in the episode, why I kind of want to just avoid Twitter. Somebody we used to follow, we no longer follow them. Cause I just got sick of this BS. This idiot was every single week. They obviously live near the West coast. So it was easier for them to stay up and watch the episodes. They would put these supposedly spoiler free tweets out that were full of spoilers and it drove me freaking crazy. So I just, I, I, just unfollowed them because it was like, screw this idiot. They, they're an asshole. <laughs> um, and uh, they were complaining, again, like two hours after the finale premiered. They didn't say the name, but they're like, why would you bring in blank just to have them killed off? It's like, well, first off, it's very clear who you're talking about, and you're an idiot for putting that out there. <laughs> Secondly, um, get over yourself. It was perfect that Boba Fett killed Cad Bane. I couldn't have been happier that he killed Bane. Cad Bane. And Jason, as you and I have talked about over the years, I've I've never been a Cad Bane fan, right? I am Team Embo yeah. till the day I die. And I still am Team Embo till the day I die. But I love the way they used Cad Bane. You know, he there was a sinisterness to Cad Bane in this episode. And maybe it's just because it was live action. Like seeing those fanged teeth in person was and just the way Timothy Oliphant as Cobb Vanth played off of it. Like you felt the fear in that moment. But all that to say. When he goes up against Boba, you know, he calls Boba out. He's like, you've never been as fast as me. You'll never win this. And he says, that may be so. And you know what? He doesn't win it based on his old way of fighting. He doesn't win the blaster fight. He doesn't have the quicker draw. He's not the better gunman. But you know what? He's the warrior in a way that Cad Bane could never be. And I love that. I love that he kills him with his gaffy stick. Um, Because Boba is a warrior now. He's not a gun for hire. There's a big difference. There's an honor to who Boba Fett is now. There's no honor to Cad Bane. He's just a hired gun. You know, like, does that not mean he's an an incredible killer? Sure, he's a great killer, but he's not a warrior. He's a coward at the end of the day in my book. Um, And that's what Boba Fett was, but not anymore. And warriors, again, in, in kind of like Western tradition, warriors like a knight 
their mission is to protect the innocent, to protect those in danger. And that's what Boba's doing here, especially in the finale. He's going to stay in Mos Espa and defend these people who, for a lot of them, are defenseless. Cad Bane is a coward. He is a cold-blooded killer, even though that's what he calls Boba Fett, because that's what Boba Fett used to be, and that's all he thinks Boba Fett still is. But he is wrong. So Boba killing him with the gaffy stick I thought was perfect. If he just shot him down, sure, fine. But he doesn't kill him by being the old Boba Fett. He kills him by being the warrior daimyo king Boba Fett. Cad Bane never saw it coming, and I freaking love it. Yeah, Cad Bane was ready for who Boba used to be. He he had trained and was anticipate could anticipate anything the old Boba Fett would have done. And Boba fell into that pattern initially. You know, when when the the face down came, you know, he was fighting like the old Boba Fett initially, but he had to drop that and take up the mantle of the new one and use that to to slay Cad Bane. Now, I am a bit sad that they killed Cad Bane. <laughs> However, as a that is because I'm a, a huge Cad Bane fan. Cad Bane is my favorite bounty hunter. However, the poetic way it was all done works. For me, you know, the, Cad Bane was never going to just go out um, and retire. He was never going to, you know, die of old age. This is a, a character that was going to get himself into a fight that ultimately he wasn't able to walk away from. Um, and based on the history that he and Boba Fett have from the Clone Wars and, and other uh, materials. It is fitting that it ended here. Um, so I, you know, was I sad? Yes, but that's because I just can't see more new stories of Cad Bane after this point <laughs> anymore. So, um, but it was, it was very well done, very well executed. The, uh, Everything about Cad Bane was executed to perfection in terms of the costume, the um, the actor inside the suit, and you know bringing Corey Burton back to voice the character, um, and and the role that the script had him play. You know, there it was pure Cad Bane um, in every aspect of that. Um, I did have a friend say, you know, it's, it's frustrating because it's a character that is only really known to animation fans. Uh, and so they just sort of like, for anyone who hasn't been watching in the animation, sort of just bring the character in, throw him at you guys without any of the context. And then he's dead at the end. And so they you know, they were saying it was a missed opportunity in that respect. Um, and if you're, you know, I suppose that could be fair. However, if you've never seen any of the animation, you don't know who Cad Bane is in the animation, the character still works 
for what he's needed to in the show um, in a way that's intimidating and cool, which yeah. is really all Cad Bane is. He's intimidating, he's cool, and he's got ridiculous fashion sense um, <laughs> and a quick draw. So, you know, that's that's all you need to know about Cad Bane. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, a friend of mine who is a very casual Star Wars fan, um, you know, he, he watches the movies and he watches the shows and that's it. And he watches them once. Like he's not, you know, he's not like, you know, you and I, or probably most of you listening. Um, like he didn't know who Cad Bane was because he's never seen an episode of Clone Wars, but he was like, oh, that was a really cool character. And it was really cool that Boba got the upper hand on him because he seemed pretty formidable. And that's the whole point. That was why they brought him in. And again, like I get, I get lamenting that he's gone now for like Cad Bane fans, but what was Cad Bane? He was always just a, he was always a tool, and he is a tool in my book anyway. Um, like he's always been a tool. He's been a tool of intimidation. Yes, he's cool. Yes, he's a badass. But that's all he is, and that's okay. Like he serves a story purpose, and he serves the purpose for Boba's story so well because we know that he partly helps raise Boba Fett. Um, you know, in his early bounty hunter and career. So Boba surpasses him because he learned something Cat is not capable of, um, you know, and uh, that's why I thought he, he was used so perfectly. And again, like to casual fans, it worked great. The, you know, none of them are like, oh, yeah, I want to see more of that character. It's like, no, he served his purpose. You know, it's like watching a Western. You, you don't expect the bad guy who's killing people at the beginning to survive the end. You expect him to go down right in a blaze of glory. And that's what happens to Cad Bane. You know, um, Cad Bane, in a sense, he won the initial fight. He's still the better bounty hunter, but he is not the warrior that Boba Fett is. And that's why I thought it was perfect. Um, you know, and you know, Jason, like, like I said, you know, over the years, I've always crapped on Cad Bane, mainly just to yeah. like give people a hard time, but he is a very cool character, but I think he was used so perfectly and I've never liked Cad Bane more than I did in this series because he's used so perfectly. And I think him yeah. dying serves the story so perfectly. Um, and I'm not just saying that cause like, Oh, I don't like Cad Bane. I'm glad he's gone. No, like his story came to a great conclusion. Because um, Cad Bane represents the, he represents old Boba Fett. He represents, you know, that those characters ultimately will always come up short because they're so short-sighted. Because Cad Bane holds to the truth that if you rely on anyone but yourself, you are weak. That's what Cad Bane represents. So Boba Fett kills that lie. And I love it. Yeah. No, it worked out great. Everything with Cad Bane in this show, I think, was executed to near perfection. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have any problem with the way that they used him. And I'm just excited that they decided to use him and bring him into the show. Um, because it was freaking amazing and he looked great. So, um, yeah, he but yeah, so good. I, I think it was, I think it was fantastic. So I just wish he'd had gone back to like his old wide brim hat um, <laughs> and not like the, the newer model. That's the only thing I would have been like, Hey, come on. You, you know, you gave him the duster back, yeah. give him the, give him the big hat back. Just, I've tried it's, to... it's a Tatooine apparel. Come on. He's got to <laughs> protect himself. Keep, the keep... twin sons, yeah. right? 
Well, I, I think right. It's in Bad Batch where he gets the smaller hat, right? So I think uh, it's it's in. Uh, well, I know it's in it's, the Crisis of Naboo arc. He gets a smaller hat. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure when he shows up in Bad Batch and faces down Hunter, I'm pretty sure he has a smaller brimmed hat there too. Yeah. Um, so I just yeah. feel like older Cad Bane's just rolling with a smaller brim. That's all. <laughs> I can get down with it. It's disappointing. You know what is? You know what his hat can't do though, Jason. What can't his hat do? Deflect blaster bolts. Who knows who can? Uh, hey, hey, Embos. hey! Now. Just saying. That's right. But Cad Bane's fast enough. He doesn't have to have a giant hat to deflect blaster bolts. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I won't lie, Jason. I was definitely a little. I was like, I, I would, I'd be lying to say that I wasn't hoping to just see a live action Embo. I, I knew that it probably wasn't going to happen, and and it makes sense that it didn't happen. But oh my god, I really wanted it. <laughs> Saving it for Mandalorian season three. God, I a, a, a boy can dream. Um, so, <laughs> um, but speaking of Mandalorian, let's talk a little bit about Din Djarin's little you know he i i feel like his arc is more fleshed out than anybody else's in the show even though he only gets two episodes um and uh i i i love his arc right Ch- chapter five is all about him chapter six is mostly about him um mm-hmm. and i love his story and i think to me where it overlaps so much with boba's story is just like boba fett he's trying to find his place in this galaxy where he's lost part of himself. Right. And I think that's why this is in there. Um, I do think that, you know, the whole story of Mandalorian, Din Djarin, it was all inspired by Boba Fett, you know, fans, fandoms love of Boba Fett, the Mandalorian. That's where that TV series came from. in, in my, in my opinion, um, and the reason I think that you bring him back into the story, well, in part is because it's clear that the, the Filoni Favreau team, between these two shows and then the Ahsoka show coming out next year, this is this is a shared universe. This is a shared story. I think they're going to overlap, and I think that that makes sense. But I think there's a huge thematic thread running through both Din and Boba's stories, which, again, is this, this theme of finding your way when you're kind of lost. Um, yeah. And that's where, well, where Din's story begins. Yeah, it, because here's the thing is he – kind of found himself through, you know, the events of seasons one and two of Mandalorian. And then all of that gets turned on his, on its head when he passes a little Grogu over to Luke Skywalker at the end of season two. And now he's kind of left going, well, now what now? Who am I now? What am I supposed to do? And what does he do? Well, he immediately starts going back and looking for the remains of the covert from, um, oh gosh, the, the planet that they got blown up. Um, what? What are you saying? The, the, the planet they started on, Navarro. Navarro. That's the one. From Navarro. You know, so that's, that's what he immediately goes back to is like, he, he's like, all right, well, I, this new thing isn't working out anymore. So let's go back to the old one. Yeah. Um, and he hunts them out, you know, finds them out and, and starts trying to rejoin the, the group. Um, except they're too insular and isolationist now 
for who he is anymore. He doesn't fit. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. And that, I mean, this is why I love where his story starts. I mean, that's why I did like a random little special episode a week or two ago after this episode, because it, it really raised the question of kind of like this fundamentalist orthodoxy, um, right. Which has a strong correlation in the world of religion. Um, but yeah, it, I remember when I first watched that episode, Jason, my, my initial thought after I watched it the first time was kind of disgust. It was like, why would he just go back to his old way? But then I texted that to my, to my friends, Ben and Greg, and they were both like, well, because his, his new developing life has, has kind of come to a conclusion. Grogu's been passed on. He did his duty. So of course he's going to go back because that, that was where he had a sense of stability. So of course he's going to seek that out again, which is like, yeah, no duh. Like Carl, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, I think that's, that's absolutely true is, uh, he never stopped being a Mandalorian, right? He, he was on a quest. He was on a quest to return Grogu to the Jedi and he completed that quest. Um, and it took him to places he never dreamed of clearly, uh, but yeah, mm -hmm. he goes back to all he's ever known. The thing is, is this particular group shows its true colors that they are so orthodox. It's disgusting. Right. And, and again, like this is, this is something I've loved about man, about Mandalorian since season one is he is a man of honor, right? Like that's exactly who he is. So when, um, I don't know why the armor all of a sudden after the end of their little fight asks them about their helmets, but maybe that's just something they do. <laughs> um, right. But he's, he's not going to lie about it. Right. He's, he's very honest. Like, and, and, but again, there's no, there's no mercy at all. There's no context of why did it happen? Well, how long did it happen for? Did anybody even see you? Right. Like it's just, nope, you broke this fundamental rule. You cannot be part of us anymore. Which is, you know, I think that's just a great commentary on all sorts of groups and institutions that do that in our own world, right? Like you break one little rule and you're ostracized. It's like anything that has no room for mercy is not a th is not something you should waste your time with, in my opinion. Um, so, right. So how can he how can I atone? He asks, well, go do what seems to be impossible. Go to these, you know, these ruins on Mandalorians like they don't aren't they destroyed? This is the way it's like. Here's this impossible task that they're going to set him out on. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, what does he do? He doesn't just depart for Mandalore. He goes looking for Grogu. I think he goes looking for something in his life that gave him a much truer sense of fulfillment than this bigoted group of fundamentalists ever did. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things where um, this was glimpsed at. In season two of Mandalorian, when Din runs up against uh, Bo-Katan and her group of Mandalorians, mm -hmm. and they're taking their helmets off willy-nilly, and he's just like, well, what is this? And they find out what sect he's with, and they all just like go, oh, you're with those guys. And it's not flattering. So... Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, and we we've all known for ages that there's almost as many different, uh, for lack of a better word, tribes of Mandalorians um, as there are moons in the sky in Star Wars. So um, it, it's you know it's interesting that we happen to be dealing with one that is extremely. Uh, 
fundamentalist in this regard and, you know, so wrapped up in the history of Mandalorians and the Mandalore um, and how they operate. Uh, it's a fascinating group. They're cool, but they're also highly inflexible um, and not suited for where Din is anymore. Mm. Going back to them is going back on his journey, you know, backwards in his journey. And it doesn't sit right. Yeah. And so and, he moves forward again. Well, I, I think part of what a lot of folks loved about that episode too, is when uh, the armorer is kind of giving us a brief history lesson about Mandalore, right? We, we get, we get a flashback to the, the night of a thousand tears, you know, you get that yeah. really chilling scene with the K2SO droids walking through. I mean, it looked like the beginning of Terminator 2. If you've ever seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day, where the, the Terminator exoskeletons are walking through crushed human bones, like just shooting things. It, it was right out of that. I thought that was just a brilliant homage. Um, but it's very clear that what the armor points out, and, and we knew this from the flashback in season one, that the, the Mandalorians that rescue him are Death Watch, right? They have that on their pauldron, the Death Watch label. But if you've watched Clone Wars, the Death Watch Mandalorians never had any issues about taking their helmets off, right? We saw them doing that all the time. But I feel like this particular group is a radicalized even branch of Death Watch after the night of a thousand tears, right? Cause she points out like we were only spared because we were on the moon of Concordia, which again, we know from clone wars, that's where the death watches camped out. So I yeah. think after the night of a thousand tears, which is obviously after the events of clone wars, this more radicalized group of death watch kind of becomes something different. Um, right. And, and they like to pretend like this is how it's always been, but it's, Clearly not. There, there is some sort of radicalized form. Um, but again, Boba's a victim to all he's ever known, right? Like that's he's not in the wrong for wanting to go back to them, right? Like, like, like you point out, Jason, he does take a step back, but you almost can't fault him because he's just trying to. Sometimes the only way to move forward is to sometimes take a step back, um, mm -hmm. go back to what's familiar, um, and he goes back to what's familiar, and they cast him out. So that's when he goes off seeking Grogu. Um, yeah. And, and he manages to get a message from Peli first, which I thought was fun. He has to go build the right. ship. Yes. Yes, that's right. The, uh, the Not really, you know, a big step in his journey. Right. But I've been, I, have, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the N1 Starfighter variant that... <laughs> Dinjarin now owns. Um, I'm very much in love with this ship. Uh, the N1 Starfighter is probably my favorite ship in Star Wars. And so the fact that we get to build a, a modified version of this has me excited for ships in ways I've never been excited about before. Um, yeah, it's my, it might be my new favorite ship. Not sure yet, but <laughs> it's friggin' awesome. Um, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I would be remiss and horribly disappointed if I forgot to do so. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it is funny though, because he leaves the Mandalorians, um, you know, the armorer and, uh, Paz Vizsla and the next person he's interacting with is Peli, who's this 
character of a person, um, which I, I think she's great. Uh, she is legitimately one of my favorite new characters from the Star Wars TV stuff. Um, and I know not everybody thinks that way, but I, I think she's hilarious and really funny. Um, she's she's got that Jar Jar energy. I mean, she's not the same character. I'm not saying that. Right. She's she's the comedian, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, but it is interesting because he goes to from a group of people who are hyper adherent to a code to someone who almost disregards any codes whatsoever. You know, except the only one that matters to her, which is making sure she's got some money in her pockets. So, <laughs> but I just thought it was a, you know, kind of a funny incidental thing, but it's just sort of a speed bump on the way to get to Grogu. Let's be <laughs> perfectly honest. Um, so. Yeah, that was that. Yeah. It's, it's a super fun part of, of his journey. Um, and in some ways it's kind of, uh, Pelly really provides something that I doubt he would have admitted he needed, but it was he needed some levity, right? Like when when you when you face something traumatizing, like being cast out of something you've always been part of, you know, sometimes the best initial medicine is just someone who can make you laugh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And I think Pelly really provides that for him. Again, I don't think knowingly it's just who she is. Like that's her character. She is she's just a silly goofball. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think she provides something that, that Din needs, even if he doesn't know that. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, but uh, let's move on. Yeah. So, well, yeah, then he he obviously goes to where Luke is building his, his Jedi Academy, which we'll sidebar because we're going to talk about that in a second here. Um, but he goes there to give Grogu this <laughs> this little Beskar vest that he has the armorer make for him. Um. And, you know, it's still really important to him that he protects Grogu. That still seems to be something of utmost importance to him. That's his his deepest desire. Um, And, you know, he he wants to go see him, but Ahsoka gets in the way. And I've got my opinions about Ahsoka, which I'll share in a minute. Um, But she gets in the way. She disrupts something that was good. Um, And you know, kind of prevents him and he just, all right, fine. Here's this, give this, make sure he gets this. I want him to know he's protected. Um, you know, I think Ahsoka's question to him is, you know, why are you doing this? Are you doing this for him or for you? Um, which I think is a, is a fair question. Like, are you here because you, you really need, you really think Grogu needs you and needs your protection or are you here because you need him? And, and the thing is the way she asks it, she asks, in my opinion, judgingly. Like she doesn't give him the freedom just to just, she doesn't just ask it. I mean, I think, yes, she asks it without judgment, but I think that there's judgment in her question. That's, that's my read on it. I could be wrong. Maybe others see it differently. Um, but uh, I think that might just be Rosario Dawson. Yeah. I've got some issues with her, but we'll talk about that. In a <laughs> um, and, and, and not just talking about the, the questionability of her as a human person, but just her portraying Ahsoka. I just really isn't working for me. Um, but that all aside, uh, I think, you know, uh, when Din says he's right there, I, I felt that line so hard. Cause it's just like, but he's, 
he's, oh, he's just, he's right there. You know, just like, oh, please. I just want to go talk to him. He's, he's just right there, right? This thing you love and that you want so badly is just right there. And yet he doesn't do it because Ahsoka says, if he sees you, it's going to really confuse him. So like any good parent, he steps aside, right? He channels his inner Shmi and, you know, gives Grogu the freedom to continue to make the choice that he needs to make and, and leaves the gift with Ahsoka. Um, again, just Din is such a good dad and Ahsoka sucks. Sorry, said it. <laughs> um, but new Ahsoka sucks. I always liked Ahsoka, but I don't know what the hell they're doing with her now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, you know, so he, so he leaves him there. What, what did you think of how Din interacts with things in, in that episode? Well, I will say that the question Ahsoka asks, um, you know, are you doing this for him or are you doing this for you is the crux of it mm-hmm. because at that point he is doing it for him, you know, Din is rudderless. He doesn't know what he's doing, where he's going. Um, and so he's just trying to reconnect to anything that he had before. Mm. Um, and, and at that point, it was the wrong time for him to see Grogu. It was. Uh, because Grogu is needing to, you know, needing his own journey. Um, and if Din comes blundering in, it would have upset everything, you know, for Grogu. Uh, and, uh, Din realizes that, you know, he comes to that realization and decides, okay, it is time to step back. And that's when he goes back to, you know, Boba Fett and Fennec. Shand, uh, in order to, you know, start doing something else, but still, you know, be doing good and, and helping people, um, which is kind of what he ended up, the path he ended up on, uh, you know, helping Grogu in the first place. So he's still, you know, starting to do what he had been doing again. It's just, without his little buddy. So, um, I thought it was good, uh, because it, it means that Din has a better sense of himself Mm. now, uh, because what we see from the beginning of his journey here in book of Boba Fett is that after he delivers Grogu to Luke, is he doesn't really know who he is anymore. His purpose is gone, and all of his identity was in his purpose. And now that purpose is gone. The Mandalorian, you know, covert that he was a part of has rejected him, so that part of his identity is gone. Who is Din? He doesn't know until he starts making moves after leaving the gift for Grogu. Um, And so now Din is in a much healthier place 
to welcome Grogu back into his life once Grogu returns at the end of the show. Um, and I think that's kind of the culmination of all of this because, like I said, he doesn't know who he is without his purpose and without his his covert. That is what his identity is in. His identity is in those things. It's, uh, his identity was outside of himself, not within himself. And now, after the events of Book of Boba Fett, Din's identity is within himself, and he can use that to affect things outside of himself. Mm. That's a great point, Jason. I love that. You're absolutely right. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I love that, that image you give of him just being rudderless. Cause that's true. Uh, mm-hmm. fine. The covert doesn't want me anymore. Well, I'll go back to the other thing. And, um, I, I mean, I think he goes to something that is healthier than the covert. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's entrusted Grogu to this new path and it's really not his place to disrupt that. But he, I mean, he inadvertently does, right. Cause Grogu knows he was there. Um, but but I think even before he shows up, I mean, we get the scene of him and Luke meditating, and it's very clear that Grogu's having a hard time focusing, um, right? Grogu's still very much, his heart is still very much with Mando. Um, so, yeah. Um, but the the last point I want to make is is why I think I love Din's journey is kind of um, speaking to this this whole creed stuff. I love the little moment of between him and Boba before they go out to face off against the Pikes where Boba says like, Oh, you must be, you know, you're probably going to head out now. Right. And Boba's like, no, I've pledged myself to you. Like I'm, I'm here with you till we win or I fall. And, and he's like, why? And he's like, you know, by creed, I've given my life to you. This is the way. And he's like, and I love Boba says, you really believe all that Bantha fodder? And, and Din says, I do. And I love that because, again, uh, and this is obviously me speaking out of my own personal experience, but this is Din saying, I still believe in the heart of this thing that raised me. I still believe in the heart of what it means to be Mandalorian. So, yes, it's hurt him because it's a flawed, broken system, but he still mm-hmm. understands that there's merit. In it. And again, this is me now maybe stepping a little bit outside of Star Wars, but I think that this is just a wildly important aspect of like how I look at religion. I think religion is amazing, but I think that religion is also really harmful to people. Um, and the reason that it's harmful is because it's made up of people and people are broken. Right. So I think like, and again, this is me just speaking personally at this point, but I've always been a person who subscribes to religion um, yes, I've been on a journey to find more authentic versions of it. Um, but all that to say, you know, just like Din, I've never not believed in the creed. Um, and to use Christian language, we actually have a creed. It's called the Nicene Creed, <laughs> um, right? Like I believe in that stuff and I believe in living out what it stands for. And I think that's what Din's all about is like, yes, that they hurt him and they're broken. And maybe he needs to find a new way of being Mandalorian, but he still believes in the heart of what they stand for, which I think in Din's mind is being people of honor that protect others. Right. And I think that's what really matters to him. Um, and I think he's been shaken up by the fact that the people that raised him kind of suck. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love what they are supposed to stand for. Right. Um, and that's the same way I even view religion. Like I love religion and I also recognize that it sucks and it hurts people all the time. Um, but that's, you know, 
that's because it's flawed and it's broken, but it doesn't mean that at its core, it's insidious. Um, Exactly. And, you know, all that is reinforced, all that honor um, in Din, and therefore starting to bleed over into Boba Fett, to bring it back to the subject of the show, um, is reinforced because the name of that final episode is In the Name of Honor. Yeah. Um, and it's really great to see that in action, mm-hmm. you know, when two of them go out together um, and, and start, you know, the beginning of the end uh, <laughs> of the whole conflict. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So I'm just going to throw this in now because I, I, rather than talking about a whole section of just like what we think fell floor, I'm just going to throw in the things that fell flat for me as we're talking about other things. Why the okay. hell? Okay, so Boba and Din smartly come out using their jetpacks to gun down people from the air, and then they just land on the ground. Why aren't we staying in the air, yo? <laughs> Makes no sense to me <laughs> at all. <laughs> Gonna run out of fuel. Oh, come on. Of- Battlefront 2, you can always land on a rooftop, refuel, and take off again. <laughs> I'm just thinking <laughs> how much, like, all those times I played hero mode in Battlefront 2 and how hard it is to kill Boba Fett because he's always in the air. So... <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough that's a good point a very good point. but no but I, I mean it is it is a great scene of the two of them fighting kind of back to back you know they make it look sexier than uh obi-wan and mace windu and on the geonosis arena in my opinion so <laughs> uh. fair oh man yeah no it it's a great scene really good scene uh the whole end battle is just you know i'm a sucker for a good end battle i really am and this was a good end battle it was really really good um i'll get into more of the details a little bit later but um did we want to take a quick side trip into luke and ahsoka more or yeah let's let's hit on them quick and then we can end with some of our highlights overall um so I have more to say about Luke than Ahsoka because Ahsoka's not in it a ton. Um, no. But it was so cool to see Luke beginning his Jedi Academy. Um, yeah. And and Jason, I, I got so excited seeing that that I've, I've actually restarted the Kevin J. Anderson Jedi Academy trilogy that came out in 94, 1994. Um, How? How many times have you gotten excited and reread that in the last couple of years, Carl? Well, the question is how many times have I got excited, picked it up, and then put it right back down is the better question. Fair. But fair, I'm actually fair. on book okay. two now, so I've, I've gotten through the first book. And I'll say this. Oh, again, like these, nice. these, these early to mid-90s Legends books, the Zahn trilogy aside, they're so poorly written in my opinion. So like they are – I can't believe these were considered adult novels. I mean, this would be what we today might call middle grade. Like it's not even YA. Um, there's there's the the surprising lack of character introspection in these books is is laughable. All that to say, though, they're still fun as hell. <laughs> like it's a fun story. Um, but uh, I want to point out because I think as much as it's not blatant in the episode in Book of Boba Fett, what's very clear is that Luke is trying to figure this out. He's just like yeah. all our other main characters. This is somebody yeah. who started something new and he's trying to figure it out. And spoiler alert, Jason, when we as human beings try to start new things, we often make mistakes. Um, yep. So, uh, but even as I, I, as I started 
book two of, of the Jedi Academy trilogy, there's a scene where Luke, he's like the, the Academy has now been built. He's about to start training his new set of students and he's standing on the top of a right? Cause if any of you haven't read this book, he builds his Jedi Academy on Yavin four. He's standing on the, the top of a Masasi temple reflecting about how nervous he is to start this because he understands that his own Jedi training was very abrupt and very short, right? With both Obi-Wan and Yoda. And that's true still in these stories, right? Like Yoda and Obi-Wan spent a very, very short amount of time with Luke. So, uh, you know, he's, um, his teachings come from a place of deficiency in a lot of ways. And that's not, and that's not blaming him. Like, I'm not saying this to like belittle Luke Skywalker, but he can only teach from what he knows and he doesn't know a ton quite yet. Um, so, you know, based on his limited training, he's teaching out of the little bit that he knows. And I do think that they are smartly setting up, right? Like we know what's going to happen with this Academy. We know it's going to be destroyed by Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren, right? Like we know ultimately what's going to happen to it. So it's setting up that Luke is, is going to be a flawed teacher, which I think is okay. Um, that's existed in legends canon from day one. That's even in the Thrawn trilogy. When we reread Heir to the Heir to the Empire a few months back for its 30th, I remember it being in there. Like Luke still hadn't started his Academy and he was thinking about it, but he was nervous about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it, the, the, I've talked a lot. I'm going to shut up, Jason. I'm sorry. What do you, what, what were your initial thoughts? I mean, I just got so flipping excited seeing those androids starting to build his Academy. Yeah, no, it was really cool. It was really cool to see. It's nice to see Luke, you know, what Luke is up to during this time period. And, you know, I, I was impressed with how they were able to pull Luke off. It, it didn't, you know, if I'm looking at the episode with a critical eye, there's something about it that doesn't feel quite right technically. But if I'm just there to enjoy the episode, it doesn't phase me at all. Mm. Um, but it's about as close to perfect as we're going to get technically thing. I think uh, with what they did um, to make him look like Luke Skywalker. Uh, so I'll take it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was really, really cool to see and see how he's trying to train because he's, you know, He's still nervous. He asks, you know, Ahsoka. He, Ahsoka is there as a sounding board, as someone to like get information from, ask questions from. And she's leaving at the end of that, you know, time on the planet there that we, you know, were there at the, the temple. She's leaving and he asks her, Will I ever see you again? Uh, because when he says you, that, Jason, real quick, I always just want to cut in Shmi saying, What does your heart tell you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. But you know, you, you know, he's saying that and the way that he says it is because he knows he has so many more questions that he wants to ask her. Um, because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's doing the best he can with what he he's got, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know if it's going to work. Um, and ultimately his first student decides to Go back to his old life. Actually, hold on, because this is a point I'm going to make in a second. It's not his first student. His first student also left. It was Leia. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's over his second student. 
He is 0 for 2 after Grogu. Yeah. Um, and Grogu was uh, arguably a better candidate than Leia because he had been in the Jedi Temple before the fall of the, the Republic. So he already had a baseline. And like Luke says to, um, to Ahsoka is that he's more kind of unlocking memories yeah. uh, for, for Grogu than actually teaching him anything. Um, which was an interesting thing to, to see. Uh, and, and it tracks, you know, but ultimately we get to the choice that, you know, Grogu has to make. Um, and I know I saw people that were a bit, you know, coming down on Luke for, for making Grogu make this choice, but it is the only thing that you could do at this point because Grogu isn't, his heart's not in his training. He has the opportunity to go back. It's kind of what he, you know, his heart is leaning towards, but he's got the ability uh, and the, the potential to be a great Jedi. Uh, and it is up to Grogu to what he, as to what he wants to do. And it's actually a kindness that Luke makes him sit down and make the decision before he's committed too far down one path or the other and decides to change later, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, or regrets the fact that he didn't take the path he wanted to really take because mm-hmm. he wasn't given the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, I think it is one of the best things Luke does for Grogu um, is make him is to sit him down and, and offer him the choice. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it, it, the Jedi way is exciting, but it's not the way for everyone mm. and not the way for everyone with the force. Yeah. So, well, and it, it, I, I, I'll, uh, I want to follow up with that. Cause again, my, when I watched the episode the first time, I was like, what the hell, Luke, why are you, why are you doing this? Why is it this binary of it's either this or it's that, right? Why, why can't you be in the middle? Why can't we do both and right. Um, but then, you know, as I watched it again and I was thinking of other things first, again, like I kind of introduced this with Lucas teaching out of the limited teachings he's received. What does Yoda say to him in Empire Strikes Back and why he's reluctant to teach Luke? A Jedi must have the most serious commitment, the most dedicated mind, right? Like it requires such focused discipline. And Grogu doesn't seem to have that, which isn't an which isn't an indictment on his character. But like you were saying, Jason, right? It's Luke being aware of where Grogu's heart is, and when he the, the last thing he says to Ahsoka before she leaves is, "What should I do with him?" And she says, "Follow your instincts." Um, now, again, I'm going to do a couple. I'm going to do a little bit of um, speculating here because again, we don't know this, and I have a feeling we might explore this a bit in the Ahsoka series next year. Um, because again, like how did Ahsoka find Luke? What was their initial reinteraction? She obviously knows it's Anakin's son. I want to know more about that and I'm sure we'll get it. But when she says, follow your instincts, I'm so I'm assuming she must know that Luke redeemed Anakin. And how did he do that? He followed his instincts. So I think Ahsoka understands that Luke has such a pure, good heart that if he trusts his heart and the way that the force speaks to his heart, he'll always do what's right. 
right? And Ahsoka seems to have a very high opinion of Luke. Like when Din says to her, he's like, oh, I just want to make sure he's safe. There's nowhere in the galaxy safer than here with Luke. You know, when Din pushes her and says, well, you didn't, why are you okay with Luke training him when you wouldn't? Because Luke wants to. It's his choice. And Grogu wants him to right now. So it's their choice. And I respect that choice. Right? So um, Ahsoka is not going to step in and get in the way of that. So I think when Ahsoka says, trust your instincts, and that's where that scene ends. And we don't meet them again until the end of the episode when he does present the choice. I think that's him having spent a little time reflecting on what should I do next. And I think to your point, Jason, which is actually quite brilliant, is he lays it out for Grogu. You know, you have these two great paths before you, which require tremendous discipline and focus. You can't do both. Um, and and so he gives him the choice of which one feels most right for you. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, I still think there's a bit of a flawed nature to this sense of, like, why can't you do both? Um, I mean, we actually heard that the first uh, the person that made the Darksaber was a Jedi and a Mandalorian. They were both and, you know, a thousand years ago. So why can't Grogu do both? But all that to say, like, Luke doesn't know all these things, right? Like, again, so he's still teaching right. from a deficiency. But I think. It, to your point, Jason, is it's it's coming out of the kindness of Luke's heart. Like he really wants Grogu to make the choice that feels most authentic. Yeah. And and also, let's be honest, Grogu is also still a child. So that's also part of why he can't do both right now either. So, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> so um, he but yeah, it, it is definitely within the the kindness of Luke is because he is not wanting to force Grogu into a life that he will ultimately regret. Um, and that is why he is given the choice. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily because Luke thinks there's only two choices here. Because if we go back to Return of the Jedi, it was kill Vader or and the Emperor or don't. Um, that's how it's all, yeah, he found this is how it's all going to end. And he goes, no, I'm going to do another one. I'm going to redeem Vader. Yeah. Um, you know, Luke is finds a way. Um, but in this, in this case, you know, Grogu had to make the decision of what he wanted to do. And, uh, because otherwise he might end up regretting a path that he wasn't fully bought into. Yeah. So. No, that's so true. Uh, but yeah, so I think Luke might initially look at it as sort of a failure, but I think it really was one of a good, a very good success for him in this regard. So. Yeah. Um, yeah and it kind of the, so uh, I don't have a ton to say about Ahsoka. Again, I just, there's just something about Ahsoka specifically in this episode. I don't know if it's, I, I'm just really having a hard time with Rosario Dawson in this role. I just don't think she makes a very good Ahsoka anymore. <laughs> um, and I'm nervous about her having a whole series. Uh, I don't know. There's just, there's just something off and it's hard to put my finger on. So I'm not going to waste time trying to put my finger on it. Um, but all that aside, when she, when, when Din looks at the androids amidst their work and says, you know, what is this place? I love Ahsoka's line right now. It's nothing, but soon it will be a great school. I feel like, again, like I love this because it, it speaks to, uh, this is such a, to me, again, that's a huge star Wars theme of like, well, you know, it's Luke looking at the, it's Luke looking at the sunset, you know, right now it's nothing, 
but someday he's going to be something great. You know, um, I feel like it's such a meta line as well, because kind of to the point I was making earlier, so many of our characters are on new journeys that right now they're, they're not, they're not quite anything, but they're going to be something great. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think they're all on their way to that. And I mean, I, I would venture a guess that that's maybe where Ahsoka show is going to take her too. is, is, who is she now, right? Like she's been living a long life of not being a, a Jedi in the sense of part of that order. Um, mm. So who is she now with the fact that there's this character, her, her, her master's son, who is starting the Jedi order again? Who is she now? What is her role in that? Um, and I guess I, well, if I put my finger on something, I think the reason I have an issue with her, and again, this is probably being unfair because again, her story is coming. Um, but she just seems very irresponsible to me. Like she just shows up, she throws out some statements and then just leaves. Like, I don't know. I just, it just feels like there's a, a recklessness to her. That doesn't seem right. Um, uh, well, she was kind of reckless in the clone wars. In so. the clone wars as a child. Yes. Yeah. This is a long time after that. Um, so again, uh, that's, that's just me trying to put my finger on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're going to have to explore is what is her role now in this? What's her role in Luke's, in Luke's part? And like, what has she talked to him? How has she told him about the dangers of the Jedi order becoming too dogmatic, right? Like when Luke says to Ray in last Jedi, you know, he, he throws all this guilt on the Jedi order. Like they were the reason, you know, Darth Sidious rose to power and created the emperor and destroyed them. They were so arrogant. They were so prideful. Um, so who told Luke that story? Debatably Ahsoka. Um, right. We don't know. And, and time will probably tell. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I wanted yeah. to say, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't have much to say on Ahsoka either. Um, I, I get the sense that she had been there with Luke for, you know, a couple days at the, at least, um, and was just kind of, you know, off doing her own thing at the time when Mando showed up. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, her, her story is yet to come. So it was just, it was kind of nice to see her um, just to kind of remind us that, yeah, she's still out there, uh, but I don't have a lot of other things to say about Ahsoka. So, yeah. Well, the last thing I was going to say just about Luke, and again, this is just me purely for fun speculating is, you know, um, so Luke has now had two students who don't stay with him, right? Leia was the first one where he's training her on Asian Kloss, um, which again is the planet from episode nine. Um and now he's trained Grogu a little bit and they both decide to move on, right? They Leia decides that her place is forming the government more than anything else. Um, and Grogu's place is with Din. So did, again, like this is just me putting pieces together from what we've been given so far. But when he, when Luke is talking to Ray in that pivotal scene in last Jedi and he says, um, you know, I, I took, I took my nephew, Ben, and a dozen students and started a training temple. It seems like this temple he's building in Book of Boba Fett is going to sit vacant for, for a few years. Because after Grogu leaves, I feel like he probably does decide to go out into the galaxy, learn a little bit about the Force and the Jedi, learn 
the things that he's clearly knows he's missing before starting this dedicated temple. Um, uh, you know, five to 10 years later, um, when he brings in his, his nephew. So, um, yeah, like I, now I, this is what I'll just be completely honest about Jason is when that episode first dropped too. My initial thought was like, this is the story I want. Like when the hell are we getting our Clone Wars version of the big three between episodes six and seven, right? Like I want the story of Luke doing this stuff. I want to know what Han and Leia are up to. Like that, I really want those stories. So um, yeah, like it it just made me pine ever more for those stories. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get them somehow, some way. We'll get those stories. Um, but yeah, uh, it definitely was, was good to see. So, yeah. Um, and I will say, I'm curious cause again, in the Jedi Academy trilogy, Luke makes an appeal to the, to the new Republic Senate to kind of bless his, his adventures to start a new order. Cause again, he sees the importance of tying the Jedi to the new Republic, um, which I don't know. And again, this is me just speculating. I feel like that's not true for Luke in our new canon. Like Luke doesn't seem to want to repeat the mistake of the prequel Jedi, which was the Jedi exist for the whims of a political system. I feel like Luke is training a group of just guardians of peace and justice. I, that's what it seems like to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, I don't think he, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think he's trying to build a new order, you know? Yeah. He's got connections with the new Republic, yeah. Um, so if they need help, they'll reach out, but they're not working at the behest of the new Republic. Yeah, for sure. I would assume. For sure. Um, so. Well, Jason, let's let's round out the conversation by just talking some of our other favorite highlights from the show. Because there was lots of great stuff just dropped in throughout the series. Um, um, I, there was one thing I wanted to talk yeah. about that was yeah, sort of, yeah. uh just sort of a general. Uh, I think we want to. I think we mentioned shortcomings. Um, oh yeah, but uh, there was just one thing overall that coming into this show, I wondered how it was going to go, and I think the show suffered a little bit from it, uh, but it survived better than I thought it was going to. But it still affected it sometimes. And that is the fact that going into the show, Boba Fett is a character that is a side character. Not only a side character, but a background character, um, except for a few scenes he, in, you know, in the movies. He's very much just a one-note kind of a character that we see a couple of times in Attack of the Clones, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Um, and in the original trilogy, he's got less than three minutes of screen time. You know, and my question going into this is how are you going to build a show off of that kind of a character? It doesn't, it, you know, I was wondering is, you know, how, how is it going to go? Has it, is it going to be, uh, you know, can Boba Fett carry his own show? And I'm, not sure we got a solid answer on that. <laughs> sure. Maybe you did get a solid answer on that. 
I mean, I think he did well. He did better than I thought, but I still don't think, you know, obviously, since we had this whole diversion with Din and the Mandalorian, you know, uh, maybe not, you know. I think I'm going to follow that up by saying here's where I think ultimately the show kind of fell short for me was I think that the opening two episodes showed us that, wow, they really do have a story to tell with Boba Fett. And then they kicked it to the wind. <laughs> so again, I, I blame wholeheartedly because I, I don't think there's enough of this from fandom. And, and, and I don't mean this like we should be hateful and belittling. Um, but you know, there were so many people that were jerks, still are jerks to Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. And then Filoni and Favreau always get a pass. But I think this show really shows their flaws. <laughs> um, and I mean, I've always thought Filoni's been flawed. I'm sure I'll get a lot of people that are mad at me for saying that, but he ain't perfect, y'all. <laughs> um, but I think this show started off by saying, wow, there really is, because to your point, Jason, like how do you tell a story based on somebody who has three minutes of screen time? Well, the easy answer is, is you can do anything you want. That's kind of the cool thing is, is they're really, I mean, yes, fans have their tunnel vision of who Boba Fett is and what he's allowed to be. But it ultimately, if you ask them to back that up with screen credit, they can't because there isn't any. Um, so I think that was kind of the excitement and the adventure of the show is you can kind of do whatever you want. And they really took it to some cool new places, those first couple episodes. And then they just settled it into a very poorly written crime story, right? Like they were trying to make this into some sort of crime drama. And I'm on the side right now, by the way, I'm rewatching the Sopranos TV series, which I still think is probably one of the best TV shows that's ever been on TV. And it does crime, a crime family story so perfectly. I mean, in a way that book of Boba Fett doesn't even come close. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, that's the biggest flaws. They, they started the show so strong um, with really kind of going a really neat route with the Tuscans. Then they just kill them off very haphazardly Um and start this convoluted story. So like I, a good friend of mine, she and I were talking about the finale the other day when I was, when I was hanging out with her and she was like, what the hell? Why is Boba doing any of this? There's no answers in the show. And I think that there are some, and we've talked about some of what they might be, but I think she's got a really valid point. They just kind of dropped the ball. I think after episode two ended, Boba Fett's story just became a shoot them up story. Like, let's just have some adventures. And it lacked really any character depth. And I think that's the biggest flaw. You know, I mean, yes, episodes five and six are tremendous fun, but they have nothing to do with Boba Fett directly. Um, so, yeah, I think the show had a lot of potential, but Filoni and Favreau got so busy playing in their sandbox, they forgot to tell a good story. Um, that's that's my opinion. Um, that's why, like, to me, this will never be an A, an a class show. Um, it would never be higher than, like you, probably a seven out of ten. Because the character depth that we got so richly in Mandalorian is is really lacking in this show. And Fennec is the prime example, but even Boba, the headlining character. Um, like, yes, his, his story is, it's, it's a basic arc to a degree, but motivations are wildly lacking in this show. So I think that's my biggest, biggest complaint about the, about the series. Yeah. Uh, and I, I could nitpick a few things, but I think overall my, uh, you know, my complaint, uh, not complaint, my critique is that this show was, uh, 
built around an idea that was never fully fleshed out. And the idea of a character that doesn't have the bones to, to stand it up with, in my opinion. And I, you know, like I've, I, I've said numerous times before all this, Boba Fett is the most overrated character in Star Wars. I might <laughs> rescind that a bit, uh, because I did enjoy the show and I do like, you know, the new Boba Fett more than I've liked Boba Fett at any other point in the character's history. Um, so I, I will give it that, that it has helped create a Boba Fett that I care some about. Uh, but it's still a character that the driving force behind for many people, including a lot of the creatives working on the show, is, oh my god, he's so freaking cool. <laughs> and you need a little bit more than that to have a TV show. So, um... <laughs> yeah. That being said, we got some amazing adventures and some other fantastic stuff that came out of this show. Um... Yeah. And I'm ready to talk about some of those. Yeah. And again, like like I said at the top, like we both said, you know, this has so much fun stuff that it's it's fine. Like, I mean, that big flaw that I talked about, I, 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 yeah, it's there. Like I, that there's something at the heart of the show that just fell flat for me. Um, but it doesn't mean I hate it, you know. Um, but one last thing I just want to – I think it's always important to, di- to indict fan bros – all y'all that called Ray a Mary Sue for knowing how to fight with a lightsaber without training. Uh, y'all seem to love Boba riding on a raincor without any training. So just going to point it out there that y'all are hypocrites. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't need to see Boba learning how to ride a raincor. That, that particular storyline didn't excite me at all. Um, Cause I'm not a creature monster person. Um, it was cool to see him riding it, but Hey, we didn't see him learn. So I guess Boba Fett's a Mary Sue. <laughs> So I just, I think it's important to point out hypocrisy when it's there. I I think we can assume he trained off screen, but sure. But we didn't see it. So we can't, sure. We can assume we can, and we can assume that about Ray, but fan bros can't. So um, anyway, apparently. Yeah. So uh, that's sorry. Sorry to, to to have to be the one to indict, but got to indict when it's, when, when you're guilty. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Lots of fun stuff, Jason. Yes. Um, um, where do you want to start? Well, I'll, I'll. The biggest thing for me, which I've hinted at several times, is the Tuscans. Um, I absolutely loved the way the Tuscans are used in this show. And again, it, we owe this to Chapter Nine of Mandalorian, and you know, first episode of Season Two, the Marshal, where Din is talking to the people of. Um, Mos Pelgo, which is now Freetown. Um, and he says, yes, the Tuscans are a brutal people, but so is the Dune Sea. They've lived a hard life and that's why they live the way they do. Right. So I think that was the initial opening of the door to like a new vision of who the Tuscans are. Um, and then we got so much about them. Like I, it, I've always been fascinated and, and, and enamored by indigenous cultures and um, the, the way indigenous cultures uh, sanctify 
the land, sanctify the earth. Um, and the Tuscans really, you know, they, they feel so akin to the Dune Sea. This is, this is the land we inherit. We want to protect it. We love this land, right? And, and the amount of ritual and cultural identity that is given to the Tuscans over those two episodes is just brilliant. And I, I am so here for it. I absolutely loved it. Um, so, you know, every second that Din spends with the Tuscans are, is, is by far my favorite parts of this series. You mean Boba? Yeah. Um, yep, that's who I meant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's great. Uh, I do want to point out that this is just one one tribe of Tuscans. Right, of course. That, you know, yeah. I do mention that other tribes operate very differently. Um but yeah, this tribe is fantastic. I, I do like it. it. It's great. I, it, it didn't, you know, excite me as much as it excited you, but it was really cool to see. Yeah. Um, I, I did like, you know, I think my favorite part of the whole Tuscan experience is uh, when they they dressed him and they had him make his gaffy stick and mm. then the campfire after. Um, yeah. I think that probably my favorite Tuscan sequence same here Uh, so that was uh, the the lizard is whatever but um, (laughs) a lizard thank you (laughs) lizard thank you I I like what you you posted (laughs) um, (laughs) about that scene it's like what you say when you get socks it's like like getting Christmas you know getting socks at Christmas socks Thank you. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I thought it, I thought it was cool. Um, one of the things I know we mentioned on the podcast earlier is uh, I thought it was a bit. Um, maybe we didn't mention on the podcast. It might have just been you and I talking. Uh, is that the um, the killing of the tribe? Was very, yeah. Very um, I still think that I can see why they did it off screen because they wanted to try and save the idea that the Pikes were the ones that did it um, as a surprise. Um, I don't think that worked because I figured the Pikes had just hired the speeder bike gang to kill them off anyways. Mm. You know, like that was my assumption. Uh, you know, apparently they did it themselves and just framed the speeder bike gang. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought they just hired the, the speeder gang to go in and kill them. Uh, and it, the surprise didn't quite work. Um, like when me. En- Enfys Ness uh, takes off her helmet to this like dramatic music and you're like, who the hell's that? <laughs> right. It's, right. It's not much of, not much of a payoff. So, yeah. um, so. But yeah, what's something um, for you though? Well, uh, you mentioned it's something that's not really up your your alley, but honestly, the Rancor was a huge deal for me. Yeah, uh, I like the Rancor. The Rancor is my favorite monster in Star Wars. So anytime I can get some more stuff about Rancors, I like it. Um, it's my favorite monster. Um, I liked being able to see it in action outside of the dungeon. Uh, because it's you know more of you know kind of what it does in in the wild, uh, not something we've really ever seen, you know, uh, outside of maybe a video game or something like that. Um, 
but uh so that was really cool to see i i liked the uh the lore of the rancor that we got with machete um talking to to boba fett about it uh you know imprinting uh on the first person it sees um which is something that's been in legends lore for a long time um but yeah, and then just getting to see it in action was just a big, big bonus for me. Uh, I was very, very much looking forward to it showing up in the battle. And when Boba Fett jetted away at the end of the, you know, during the battle, I was like, I know where he's going. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I was on the edge of my seat waiting for him to come back. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I I knew people would love this, and again, it's just that's not a side of Star Wars that's my favorite. So, but it was still cool. And to your point about the lore stuff that uh, uh, Machete's <laughs> telling him when he mentions that you know, oh, the the witches of Dathmere used to ride these. That's straight out of the Courtship of Princess Leia book by Dave Wolverton that also came out in the mid nineties. Um, so that which is the first time we ever went to Dathmere, by the way. And also, sadly, the week that episode came out, Jason, Dave Wolverton passed away, the author of that book. So um yeah, so wow. like weirdly serendipitous. Uh but also kind of because his son like put out a message of saying just how much that meant to like see that this particular story point that his father created was was used. And and that is something I have loved and again, as much as I've been a little critical of Filoni and Favreau. Um, being critical doesn't mean I also don't love them. (laughs) Like they're also great. And I think something that Filoni's done a great job of is really honoring legend stuff, right? Like bringing things in from legends and, and repurposing them like for, for, you know, fans like you and I, Jason, or any of us who grew up during the dark times where we read those star Wars novels and those were our star Wars stories for, you know, for a decade until the prequels came out. It's really cool seeing those things repurposed. Uh, so I, I really loved that little homage. Yeah, uh, it was it was really cool. Um, it, it was, yeah, definitely a highlight for me was the Rancor stuff. So um, what about you? What's another one? What's another highlight for you, sir? Uh, well, I'm not going to give an exhaustive list just because we've been going for so long. So I'm just going to say one more yeah. big, big thing for me, which I have a feeling you'll have something to say about too, but... I just loved the Western feel of so many of these scenes and specifically the, the, the stare down of Cobb Vanth and Cad Bane in chapter six, which again, directed by Filoni, he did great work, absolutely brilliant work and, and shooting that exactly like a Western, um, that, that little showdown moment, that's probably my favorite moment in the entire book of Boba Fett. As much as I loved everything with the Tuscans, I still think that that little scene, I've watched that scene just in isolation, probably a hundred times already. Um, <laughs> but it's just so good. The tension of it is perfect. It's so good. The way he shoots it, you know, again, that low angle, wide angle lens where, you know, we either have Cad Bane's feet where we're looking at Cobb or then Cobb's feet looking at Cad. Um, you know, it's just so freaking cool. And so much of the heart of Star Wars from the original days, again, was it's a samurai Western story. Well, which, to be fair, all Western American movies were always kind of an homage to samurai movies from Japan. Um, 
But just the way that that particular scene is. And again, in, when Boba goes out to face down Cad Bane, again, we go into Western mode. It's just so cool. And even the opening of that episode where Cobb Vanth shoots down a couple of the, the Pike soldiers, right? Like just that quick draw action. Like this is so cool. I mean, he's the marshal. He is... Uh, he is the Western hero. Um, so I loved that scene so much. And I I love that Cobb is clearly not dead. And I, I never thought that even in the episode because he clearly gets shot in the shoulder. He's not shot anywhere critical. We hear the people saying grab a stim pack, which you don't grab a stim pack for a dead guy. Um, but then I also love like the bartender. From, yes. Um, I can't remember his name. His name is said in the finale and I, and I forgot it because it's said very quickly. But when he stands up and kind of stares down Cad Bane and we get a statement of the 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 Marshall's theme song, like it's like, yep, they'll be back in the finale. They are they are pissed. Um, they are going to definitely stand up to this bully. Absolutely. Give me one second. I'll pull up uh, his name. Well, that's fine, because as you as you pull that up, um, you know, again, in what they they kind of create a theme song for Cobb Vanth because we hear it at the beginning of the episode, we hear it again when uh, Mando comes to talk to him, but it's off that track, the Marshall's Tale, and uh, it's it's one of my favorite pieces of music in Star Wars. Here we go. So I just I love that they repurpose that for Cobb Vanth, almost like it's his theme. And uh, yeah, they use it throughout that episode, but then they use a brilliant just just the main notes of the melody as the bartender kind of stands up. Did you find his name? Yes, it's it's Tanti, T-A-A-N-T-I, Tanti. Would love a black series of him, which, by the way, so um, our, (laughs) our, our friend Jazz. Um, from Norway, Jazz and I hang out a lot on Discord during the week, and Jazz is really into westerns. And so Timothy Oliphant is known for two big western series he's been in. So he was in Deadwood on HBO um, as a gunslinger, and then he's in a show that was on FX for years called Justified, where he's he's a marshal. He's literally a U.S. marshal. Um, it's set more in modern times, but. Um, but I started watching Deadwood because I was just like, man, I'm really loving this western feel. I. Deadwood's not working for me is what it is. But there's a there's a bartender character in Deadwood, and that actor plays the bartender in uh Book of Boba Fett slash Mandalorian. So it's just really cool that they brought in Timothy Oliphant and the other guy. And again, I don't I don't know his name, but uh just a cool little tidbit. Nice. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I love Tanty. He was great. Um it it was nice to see him back again and you know, getting involved the way he did. So yeah. Uh, bringing all these pieces together. Uh, but yeah, I, I will say yeah, the Western feel has been fantastic. Uh, it was nice to see, um, even though we didn't get a lot of her, even though she's, you know, featured heavily in the show, Fennec Shand. Uh, it mm-hmm. was nice to see her get her moment at the end of that finale episode when she's in Moss Eisley and takes out the entire leadership hiding there mm-hmm. in less than a minute. 
She's Master called Master Assassin. Assassin. Yeah. Fennec Shan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was pretty good. I was very happy to see that because uh, I was missing her in the battle. But that's not where she's best suited. She is an assassin. And so we got to see her do what she does best. And that was pretty cool. So, yeah, absolutely. So any last highlights for you? Uh, just that uh, I loved Kersantin. Uh, the idea of having the, the Hut twins was interesting to me. I thought we were going to get more with them. But um, now they're just characters out there that I'm kind of curious about abstractly. Um, yeah, I, just just some of that stuff was, was really cool to me. So, yeah, I don't have much else specifics because we've been going for a while. So <laughs> probably about time to stop gushing over Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, like this, I'm sure we'll come back to visit things in particular in the future. Uh, but we definitely wanted to get out just kind of a, a broad season review. I will say one other thing, one other highlight that we need to make sure we mention the music. Yes. Uh, thank you. I was the music Yes. In the show uh, lives up to what, uh, Ludwig Goranson did for Mandalorian. Obviously, some of the themes that uh, Goranson came up for the Mandalorian were reused here. And then uh, Jeremy, no, Joseph Shirley. Jo- jo- Joseph Shirley, thank you. Yeah. Joseph Shirley is the composer yep. for this show. Ludwig and he did, did a great job. Yeah. Ludwig did compose the theme, though. The Book of Boba Fett theme is Ludwig. He did that as well. Um, kind of yeah. like John Williams doing the theme for Han Solo, even though John Powell did the rest. Um, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm right with you. Uh, in the last couple of days, like I said, kind of at the beginning, you know, volumes one and two are both now out available on digital music. Um, I've been loving listening to them. There's so many great tracks. Um, so yeah. Uh, if you have, if you're a star Wars fan, if a star Wars music fan aficionado, like we are definitely recommend checking out these scores. They're, they're absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is time to start wrapping up the show. Um... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, by the way, the actor who did that voice, Michael York, freaking Michael York, famous Academy Award winning actor. Uh, from the seventies, um, weird sidetrack. Anyways, um, <laughs> anything else before we close down this episode, Carl? How can people yeah. get a hold of us? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> like you know, like I said at the beginning, um, we are we are going to be starting our this is Madness tournament in just a couple of weeks. So definitely be watching. Definitely our Instagram. Um, again, we're still up in the air about uh, Twitter at this moment. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully you'll participate because we're having a lot of fun with it already. Um, so yeah, uh, we are on Instagram at the Wampas Lair. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Wampas Lair and can always email us at Wampas Lair podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. And, uh, once again, a reminder, we will not be back next week because Carl's doing the Marvel show with Katie. So if you aren't subscribed to Marvelous Musings, please go do that because they're awesome friends of mine and I want you to support <laughs> their show. Um, 
That being said, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. It's been episode number 454, Book of Boba Fett, season one. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. <laughs>